0: Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. This is a quite heavy message that Jude engages in, this letter. He wanted to write about our common salvation, but he couldn't. And so he was willing to write this letter, and he's sounding the alarm. All of this is to heed the warning. And I have to remember, and I've been praying this morning, and I invite you to pray as we go through this section, I can't make this warning take root in anyone's life. And I want to. You know, I want to ratchet it down. I want to drill it home. I want to just make it fix it. There it is. Get this. I can't do this for my children. I can't do this for my church family, my loved ones here. I can't do it for my family spread out all over the nation. But we believe in the power and the authority of the word of God. And so this morning, you're going to need your Bible with you or your app, and and I want you to see some of the verses that we're going to be moving through. You're going to have extended passages that I'll ask you, and I'll give you time to move through so that you can see them for yourselves right there in your Bible. Now, think about this. Jesus sounded the alarm in Matthew 24. Judgment is coming. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Paul Sounded the alarm, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Wake up, he says. Wake up from your drunken stupor. He's writing to Christians. And they're just functioning like "Eh, everything's fine. Ah, we'll be okay. Wake up. Don't go on sinning. Like, wake up. Romans 13:11. Paul says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Wake up. Through John, the apostle, Jesus gives this wake-up call, Revelation 3, it's actually to the church in Sardis, one of the seven churches, the seven letters, and he says, wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then, verse 3, what you received and heard, keep it. Okay, don't, don't lose this imagery, all right? This, keep it, you've received this, keep it. And what does he say? Repent. If you will not, here it is, wake up. Jesus says, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. That's Jesus to his church saying, wake up. So let's keep this imagery in mind of alarm, warning. Have you been thinking about this message this week when your alarm goes off in the morning? Like, I hate that sound, but I need to get up. It's a good sound. I need to love that sound. Now, loved ones at times... God's people, whether they be teachers or preachers. Uh, James 3 says, you know, if you speak enough, you're going to get something wrong. You're going to say something wrong. You're going to, you know, foil up your words, and it's going to not come out the way you planned. So as we think about this this morning, this doesn't immediately, if someone is a, a pastor or a preacher or a teacher, and they get something wrong, it doesn't immediately classify them as, a, they're a heretic, they're a false teacher. Okay, there are ministries that thrive on that juiciness and on YouTube to just find fault with people and just expose them and, and just ruin them, and they, they just you know, kind of revel in that. But the question is, how do we respond when confronted? If if we say something wrong, and I have, and I've had people meet me afterwards like, you know, you said that whatever, and like, oh, my bad. I didn't mean to say that that was the author of this letter, this person, whatever. But how does a person respond? Now, remember, the Apostle Peter, and we studied through it in Galatians. The Apostle Peter sent to the Gentiles, and he's with the Gentiles, and he brings them the gospel, which is, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. And all of the religious observances, they don't matter. And then he's eating with them at the barbecue, what Gentiles eat, you know, pulled pork, whatever it may be, finally tasting bacon. Remember, he was given a deliverance when God told him in the dream, whatever I have cleansed, don't you call common. And he's teaching him something. He's saying, I'm, I'm setting you free from all of that religious tradition. Go out and minister to the Gentiles. It's not about what food you eat or don't eat. And you remember when, when Peter was there and he was with the Gentiles, and then the Jewish delegation shows up and Peter steps back. He pushes back from the table and the Jews with him. And they offended, they confused they're brothers. They're new brothers in Christ. They caused great confusion. What's wrong with us? Why you were eating our meal and then the the people showed up? They're your Jewish friends, and now you're pushing away and you're. I thought you told us that this wasn't saving, not saving. They're confused. And remember, Paul in Galatians withstood him, chapter 2, I withstood him to his face because you were going down the road of heresy. I'm better because I don't eat this. I don't eat that. I observe these days. I don't observe those days. I use these titles and not those titles. And therefore, I won't really come out and say it, but I'm really better than you are. And if you want to be in my level, it's kind of like Dianetics, Ron L. Hubbard, with Christian touch to it. How did Peter respond, though, when confronted, when Paul took it face-to-face, you messed up? Well, read 2 Peter and how Peter writes about Paul. Our beloved brother Paul. See, here's what Peter realized. He loved me enough to confront me he was right. I was wrong. And I was confusing the gospel and I offended people. And I never want to do that. And I've done plenty of offending. Mostly Peter would say, I offended Jesus all the time. And he forgave me. Thank you, Paul. So keep this in mind as in the early church, people were showing up and we're gonna see this where they've had dreams and they've had visions and they've had these special revelations. And so they're on the upper plane, they're on the next level of of, of spirituality. And uh, the Bible is great and the apostles were great and Jesus is great, but let me give you the, the behind the curtain extra layer level pay up for it. It's always been around. So Jude isn't going... He doesn't name names in this letter. He's attacking an ideology, a false teaching, which comes with false teachers in every age. Paul was able to wake Peter up. So this morning, our prayer is, Lord, wake me up. Where am I susceptible to error to thinking myself better than someone else. This is where we pick up in Jude, and we're going to begin in verse 5. Today, we're going to look at verses 5, 6, and 7. Again, we're, we're just a few verses in. We're just barely into this letter, and now we get, uh, you know, the title of the message today is three examples. Three examples, and it's really three examples of individuals that went through Judgment. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. This is the word of God. Do you like going into... uh, whatever your favorite warehouse is, and, and they have samples? Wasn't that just awful that they took... The, the, they didn't have the people giving out samples for a few months, and then they brought them back, you know, like a soft opening of the samplers. And they put them behind plexiglass, and you couldn't even try it. They're just like, here, look at this. And if you want to buy it, it's in, over there in a case. But can I try it? No, you just have to look at it. You know, we're stopping the spread. Like, I want to taste it. I want a sample of it. I'd love... You know, I love going... Now, if you have children, you got to watch out because sometimes they're on duty. They are serious. Where's your parent? Don't touch, you know, and then they kind of get the look like, how dare you bring your child up and let them... you, All those different things, but they're just giving you a sample. And what's the idea behind a sample? You know if you like this, there's more to come. You just have to buy it. It's over there in the case. Take it home with you. This is a sample, and this is what it is of an example it's a taste. It's a sample of what is to come. Do you want more of this? All right, when it's a good sample, you might say, yeah, I actually want to take that home with me. That was good. That'll be great. Family will love it. If you taste it and you're like, oh, oh that's, that's awful. Where's a trash can? And you don't even care who's around and you're just like pff, spitting it out in the trash can. That was, I'm not going to go buy it then. Okay, so here Jude is giving the sample. I have it on video, uh, Emma's cooking show when she was little, and, and we're cooking, and I'm like, I gotta try this, you know, the vanilla. And we're making cookies, and I'm like, Emma, do you, that, you know, that tastes bad. And she's, she looks at me with this unbelief, like, huh? I'm like, it does. It's not, she smells it, you know, vanilla, smells amazing. She dumped it in the, the, the cookie batter, you know, and I'm like, taste it. And she's like, Taste it, and then she gets that soured up face, like, ah. I said, I told you it tasted bad. She didn't believe me. And it's a sample of that, and Jude is giving a sample so that God's people say, I don't want that or more of that. I need to learn from their examples. That's what he's giving. And he says it in this. He says, in these three different realms, okay, here's God's people, Israel, and then he brings into the angelic realm, supernatural beings, and then he moves out into the pagan realm. Not long after the flood, they're all accountable as well. They knew that God is holy and he judges. And he says in verse 5, now I want to remind you, although you once... Okay. And here he is saying, once for all, you knew this, you fully knew this. it says that Jesus, your Bible might say, the Lord. And some would say, well, no, he didn't, he wouldn't have known that Jesus was God, the Lord. Uh, You don't think so? He grew up with Jesus. And that explains a lot when Jesus, his half-brother, raised from the dead, and he knew the Old Testament, and he would have known that Jesus walked on the road to Emmaus, and he preached himself from the entire Old Testament to those two disciples. He would have put two and two together and say, ah, he's worthy of worship because Jesus, in fact, is the Lord. And he's saying, you knew this, you were given this. I want to remind you, He's not teaching something new, but he's reminding believers of the faith that was once for all clearly communicated, Jesus, apostles, apostles to the church, and here we are 2,000 years later. You never want a pastor that just comes up with something new. You know, don't be clever. Be clear. That's the aim. Be clear. What does the Bible say? What does it mean? How do we understand it and put it into practice? So I believe that Jude is saying about these certain people that crept in, he's saying, wake up, okay? So this is the proposition. This is what I'm laying out for us to learn today. Wake up and live in the reality of God's goodness and justice. This This is the appeal. This is what I want for every person as a member of Grace Community, as an attender of Grace Community, watching online, wake up. And there's a positive here. Live in the reality of God's goodness. And he is just. And he's going to give us three examples we need to remember. Remember the Israelites? Remember their infidelity? He's going to go from the Israelites to the angelic beings to the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah. But remember the infidelity, infidelity, of the Israelites, you know, the, the saying of the Marines, always faithful, Semper Fi. Have you seen that video clip of that Marine in the convenience store when somebody came in to rob the convenience store? And he's like, always faithful, <laughs> not today, you know, I'm a Marine. I was trained for this. I'm not running. I, I'm just, I showed that to Ginger last time. Mean, this is just, this is amazing. I don't know where I would be, you know, <laughs> please, you can have my keys. Not that guy. Always faithful. God's people were chosen and delivered. And Judah saying, these people saved a people. The Lord, Jesus, he saved a people out of the land of Egypt. And what happened to those people? Afterward, they were destroyed. He destroyed those who did not believe. Well, So much for the Jesus that just is all kind, just love, and everything goes. You can't be kind and loving and let everything go. You have to be just. So there's a problem, and we're going to see this under each of these categories of these examples. There's a problem, and then there's a punishment. The problem among Israel was disbelief. They disbelieved God's promises, Disbelief in God's promises, that's their problem. And this was in Numbers 13, Numbers 14. And what is infidelity? Infidelity is a breach of covenant. It's a breach by unfaithfulness that Israel broke faith with Yahweh and refused to trust in his word and refused to trust in his power. Even though they were rescued themselves, they watched, they saw what Yahweh did over Pharaoh and Egypt, 10 plagues, and through the Red Sea, his power was over a people, his power was over creation. He guided them through, and they rejoiced, and then they complained. All of Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea. They watched it with their own eyes, and Moses was leading them, and they rejected the word of the Lord. you with me now in your Bibles, all right? This is where I want you to see this. Numbers chapter 14. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 14 is where we really pick up the crescendo of, of the outcome of their problem. Numbers chapter 14 in verse 20, the the Lord then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, he's speaking to Moses. And as all the earth, I love this, shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Okay, there's the positive, the goodness of the Lord. His plan will not be thwarted. And verse 26, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, verse 27, Numbers 14, how long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumbled against me. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and of all your number listed in the census from twenty years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Verse thirty-five: I, the Lord, have spoken. Surely this will I do to all this wicked congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall come to a full end, and there they shall die. What happened? Do you remember when they sent the 12 spies in? And Moses and Aaron, the go in and check out the land and let's let's get the reconnaissance and come back. And they came back bringing the grapes and bringing the testimony of how great the land was. And then they said that three-letter little word, but there's giants in the land. And their eyes were fixed, like Israel later on, on Goliath, and one young man, his eyes were fixed on the unseen God. And they wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb because Joshua and Caleb were, were arguing, let's go, let's obey the promise of God, let's go into the land. And they were ready to stone them to death. And Joshua and Caleb were on the ground praying for these people. The Lord noticed disbelief in God's promise. No, we're not going in. All of that context is there for you to to look into, to, to study at a later time, maybe this afternoon or sometime this week. What happened to them? What was their punishment? Their punishment was death in the wilderness. The entire generation over 20 years old, 20 and older, perished in the wilderness. They were destroyed in the wilderness. Strong word. Strong word they perished, and Paul picks up on this theme, and I'm going to ask you to turn to first Corinthians all right we're going to move back and forth, Old Testament and New Testament in first Corinthians chapter ten. now it's fitting because you know even last Sunday we we're observing communion. And we often go to 1 Corinthians 11, but in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is pulling together that Moses delivered the children of Israel. The exodus happened, but Jesus has given a greater exodus, deliverance, salvation, rescue. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is picking up on this. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, okay, Paul was a Jew, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That that sinks together with what Jude is saying, that Jesus delivered them. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown, there it is, in the wilderness. Now these things took place as, here it is. Paul saying the same thing. These are samples. These are examples for us. Why? That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That all happened around the the golden calf. Verse eight, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands... Take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he, listen now, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The Israelites were unfaithful to the Lord. And they're remembered. If you turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter three, the writer of Hebrews picks up on this same thing. Like, have we forgotten what happened to the Israelites? Hebrews chapter three. This whole point here in this in this in this sermon, which is what Hebrews is, this. Is Jesus is better, and in the first part of chapter three, Jesus is greater, he's better than Moses. Verse seven, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Hebrews chapter three, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now note this, when we speak about the wrath of God, God's wrath is not like our wrath someone cuts us off in traffic, and we lose our temper. That's not God. His wrath, in biblical terms, is always boiling over. It's always full. It's always against evil. It's always against what is hurtful, what is against his character, and his mercy is full. So he says, Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to apostasy, to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you know how deceitful sin is? Do you know what sin does to your heart and my heart? for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter. Why? Because of unbelief. This is what Jude is saying. He's saying, I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. But you're living as if you don't know this. You're living as if you have forgotten this. Have you forgotten this? Have we forgotten this? That they died in the wilderness. Douglas Moo he says it this way. He says Jude intends this as a warning to his readers. Don't think because God has decisively rescued you from your sins that you can presume on His grace and mercy. Oh, I prayed. I was saved when I was a child. So I I just live on as if this book doesn't exist and is not true, and that happened to them, but that'll never happen to me. How committed am I? This is the question I had to work through this week. I see the infidelity of the Israelites. Well, what about me? How committed am I to trust and obey God? Do I see, can you see the fruit of obedience in our lives, the fruit of faithfulness in our lives, of holding to the faith? Oh, may we wake up, live in the reality of God's goodness and justice. Let's remember, don't forget the infidelity of the Israelites, their unbelief. And secondly, the second realm is to the angelic realm. And and here we see the insurrection of the angels, seeking to Overthrow authority. These are celestial beings created by God. Verse 6 says, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Small group leaders, we will not have a small group study guide on this passage. This is one of the most difficult texts in the Bible. I'm going to give to you what I have found of my studying and what I believe I hold it humbly. Many great scholars dealing with what he's dealing with. Understand, I said it a week or two ago, Jude is referencing the Old Testament, and he also references and refers to Jewish tradition, writings that are outside of Scripture. But here's what we know. Jude is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. His original audience had a very clear understanding of what he was saying. As for us, there's some distance. There's some separation. There's some time. But I'm going to give to you my humble understanding of what, we've, what I've studied this week. And you're sensible people. You have to work these things out as well. What's the problem with these angels? The problem is they're discontent. They were discontent in God's presence. Here, Jude is incorporating Jewish tradition along with accounts in the Old Testament. He's connecting his audience in ways that they could understand. He's trying to wake them up and make them think. Apply this truth for the sake of godliness. What is Jude referring to here? What is he writing about when he speaks of the insurrection of the angels and the problem of their discontent in God's presence? He's talking about rebellion, that they had a lust for preeminence, and this was led by Lucifer. He led a rebellion in heaven where a third of the angels left their proper sphere, that heavenly realm, and were cast out of heaven. Isaiah 14, this will come on the screen, verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself, and here, here's the, what we need to key into like the Most High. He didn't even say he was going to depose the most high. He was simply saying, can we have a tie? Can't everybody get a trophy? I don't like that he is, that God is most high. I want to share in the glory. I want to share in the worship and adoration. He wanted to go up. I want to go up, ascend, ascend, but what happened? Verse 15, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Now, Jesus, in Luke 10 and verse 18, Jesus speaking, he said to them, and here we have a succinct treatment of what happened. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. How did that go, Satan? like lightning no will not share my glory with any other not not with you satan well then what happened Well, there was a lust for power a lust for power beyond their assigned realm and in genesis chapter 3 satan in the form of a servant he attacked another realm the realm that was submitted surrendered put under the stewardship of adam And in the form of a serpent, Satan comes in and says, Has God said? What's he attacking? The word of God. So subtly. You know, he just doesn't want you to be like him. Unlike angels, human beings are actually created in the image of God. We are, in that sense, like God. So he's lying. Satan always lies. He's an effective liar. And he led a rebellion by deceiving Eve and Adam willingly disobeying. And what did humanity do against the creator God? They committed treason. They rebelled. What happened? They were put out of the Garden of Eden, the presence of God, separation, and we die. And I was called again this week, By someone in our community and their mom died. There's not a day that goes by that we aren't met with the news of someone died and someone died and people died. Why? Because of the rebellion that was committed against God. And Satan committed rebellion in heaven and like lightning he fell and he led a, a rebellion and we were put out, and the plan begins to unfold that God will send a redeemer. Genesis 3.15, a seed of the woman. There was a lust for procreation. There was a lust for procreation. And in Genesis chapter 6, I'm going to ask you to turn there. Genesis chapter 6, we have this passage Seemed to have a pretty straightforward understanding until I think Augustine, fourth century, brought about and he argued for a different perspective on this. But in Genesis chapter 6, there is increasing sinfulness here on earth, judgment is about to fall on all of the globe through the global flood. Genesis chapter 6 we see this account when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them the sons of God saw that the that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose then the Lord said my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh his days shall be 120 years The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, that's probably after the flood, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And then comes the flood. Now, once again, are we seeing a little bit maybe why Jude is often neglected? Like, this is, this is challenging, who are the sons of God. Well, when we look at what Jude is saying and how he is writing about these individuals, these beings that did not stay within their own position of authority, but they left their proper dwelling, okay? So they did not keep their position, and they engaged in sexual relationships with women, I would suggest that Jude and Peter, he talks about this as well in his letters, and Jewish tradition all hold to just a straightforward interpretation of this difficult-to-understand passage here in Genesis 6, that this rebellion, along with mankind's propensity to sin, in Noah's day, mixed with angelic beings and lust, and the result was a global flood, what was the punishment? The problem of these angels was a discontentment. The punishment is they were destined to darkness, and you could actually use the word damned to darkness. There was judgment poured out upon them. Why? Because they did not keep their position. So they were cast out of heaven, 2 Peter 2.4 For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to, here Peter is saying the same thing, chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So there are angelic beings that were actually, they they were damned to darkness. This gives all of the the movies that come with a theme of the underworld This is what it is speaking of. Um, Often in Greek mythology, it's the sea and the turmoil of the sea and the darkness and the depths and the unknown and myths come from this and legends come from this. But here we have more than myth and legend. We have a record of an event that happened and when we get to heaven, we'll have the full story and we can clear up all the confusion, okay? I'll be good with that. But listen to the contrast given by Jim Shaddix and Daniel Aiken. And, and notice: this, sin is always a horrible exchange. It always front loads the joy, the fun, the excitement, and the back load, the payoff is never good. It's always judgment and difficulty and pain. Righteousness is the other way. Suffering, difficulty, narrow way, narrow gate, But the eternal joy of the presence of the Lord, there is the payoff, is to be with him. So what they say is what the angels had, they, they contrast. What did the angels have before they committed this insurrection? They had heaven, but what did they get? Hell. What were they? They were servants of God. Now what are they? Slaves of Satan. Where were they? They were in the presence of light, and now where are they? in eternal darkness. They once had freedom, freedom to serve God, but now they have chains. Once they had and lived in the presence of joy, and now they have condemnation. Once they were given an awesome privilege, and now they have an awful punishment. Once they were beings created with great honor, and now they have incredible forever disgrace. Don't forget this. This is what sin pays, destined to darkness. So they're kept. They're kept under judgment, and they're kept for judgment that he, the Lord Jesus, has kept them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So, loved ones, we talked about it last week, salvation for those who have turned from their sin and trusted in Christ alone. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. This is a very different contrast for these angelic beings. They were punished, they are being punished, And they are anticipating and expecting and will be punished one day. Do you see what Jude is saying? Wake up. Wake up. Pay attention. Matthew 25, verse 41. Jesus says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Revelation 20, verse seven. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison. Okay, so who is keeping these these demonic beings who committed this unspeakable act of rebellion? Who is keeping them in darkness? Well, Paul told us, we read it last week, who holds all things together by the word of his power? It's Jesus. His word is what keeps the sun where it is, the galaxy in place, the earth right distance. It's his word. His word is what holds you together, holds me together. And there's coming a time that Satan will be released from his prison, and verse 8, and will come out to deceive the nations. So, I believe this is after millennium, there, there's, there's different stages in end times. He names these nations, Gog and Magog to, Magog, to gather them for battle. The number is like the sand of the sea, verse 9, Revelation 20, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and Surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the, where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. This is Satan's end. Loved ones, if you know Christ... You're on the winning side. Let this filter through your politics. Let this filter through everything in in what you deal with. This is not the end of the story. So let's remember the infidelity of the Israelites. Let's remember and keep in mind the insurrection of the angels. And thirdly, let's remember and keep in mind the immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain. Well, what was going on there? They were just pagan people. They were living as if there was no God. Now, know anybody living like that today? That's most of planet Earth. I do what I want to do. Even today, the Lord's Day. Well, but I want to do this and I want to do that. Verse 7, in Jude, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, that's the cities of the plain, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, a strange flesh. Okay, that could be, uh, that goes together with the angels, they were, were going after flesh that was not theirs. The word there is heteros, so it's different. Now we see that There's something different happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. They're not going after the normal male female relations. They're going after a different relation. Homosexuality. Served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. All right, what's the problem here? The problem here in Sodom and Gomorrah is the distortion of God's provision. It's the distortion of God's provision, and we have to keep this abundantly clear, loved ones. God is the Creator. God is the one who made us. He made Adam. He said, "It's not good. I'm going to put him to sleep. I'm going to perform the first surgery from his rib. I'm going to make a woman." Woke him up. First wedding happened in the garden, and Adam was like, "Whoa!" You know the old preacher joke. "Whoa, man!" You know, and there is woman. And it's the first, and the father giving the bride away to love, to protect, to serve. Uh, I say it in wedding ceremonies. Eve was not taken from the, you know, the cranium, the skull, to rule over Adam. Wasn't taken from a, a bone in the foot that that Adam would, you know, rule over his wife. Taken from the rib, Adam. You can't do this alone. You can't. You need a wife. You can't procreate alone. Oh, once again, we're just completely out of step with our culture, aren't we? Binary, male, and female. This is the only way that children can be born. This is God's plan. Satan hates God. Satan hates God's plan. Satan hates you. You're made in his image. So every human being that Satan sees is a walking testimony of the God who made that human being. That's why he loves abortion. That's why he loves forget seniors after a certain age, and if they don't have viability, or if you find out a child may have Down syndrome, then every life that he can crush and snuff out and not let see the light of day, that's what Satan is about. Kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus said. He's a thief. Have we forgotten this? He's not your friend. He's not anyone's friend. He knows his day is coming. And so he's trying to simply do as much as a poor loser can do, and that is do as much damage and cause as much shrapnel as possible. They distorted God's provision. God is the one who designed sex, but he put it within marriage. And these individuals indulged in sexual immorality. The original term, ekpornyo, is our word where we get, you guessed it, pornography, porn, prostitution. It's a desire that is self-centered and self-gratifying instead of covenantal. That within marriage, I've said it before, sexuality is like a fireplace. It's like fire in the fireplace. Outside of the fireplace, it burns the house down. It burns your life down. It consumes you. It damages you. Well, it doesn't hurt anybody. I've seen women redeemed out of the industry of pornography and heard their testimonies. It's a lie. They're hurt over and over and over and over again. Most of them have to be completely wasted to simply not be present while all of the taking advantage is happening on them. In a marriage, sexuality needs to be there for the warming of the family. And so what happens? If you're not married, everything is, get get what's yours. Sleep together, sleep together, sleep together. Well, who's behind that? Because as soon as you marry, nobody's going to tell me what to do. It's immediately the opposite temptation. Where did that come from? Remember, 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 remember. Marriage is a picture of Christ's love for his church. At what point is that self-centered and selfish? Oh, may the Lord help us in this. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah, they indulged in sexual immorality. Hebrews thirteen four. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. I just don't think that ever happened. Did you forget Sodom and Gomorrah? The people of Sodom and Gomorrah were given over to fulfill all their sexual desires. This is common with false teachers, with those who don't know Christ. Do you know how many times our young people get engaged and they take heat for not living together first? From their coworkers? What's wrong with you? Who do you think you are? How do you know if you'll even like them? What's the matter with you? What planet are you from? And believing, young people say, excuse me, why do you care? Why are you so vested in this? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, loved ones. They don't know the argument they're spinning and repeating. It comes from a much darker, deeper place from the one who hates them and hates marriage. Denial of the faith is often followed by a celebration of a newfound freedom to be immoral. You known anyone? I'll name one. The guy who wrote the I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which I thought was weird anyway. Move forward in time and he kissed everything goodbye. And now he's out as a homosexual. He went beyond the scripture and revealed there was a problem all along. The judgment of God was coming upon them and coming upon their cities, that's in Genesis 18. Turn back with me to Genesis 19 because what they did was they pursued a natural desire. You know, some will say, well, the Bible doesn't really say anything about homosexuality. You heard that argument? Well, in the Greek, they start doing all types of gymnastics. Genesis 19, or, uh, Matthew 19 actually handles that. Jesus has just asked that point-blank question about divorce. You can look at that on your own time, Matthew 19. But here in Genesis 19, you have Lot. Lot's living down among these cities. He's having no influence at all. Listen to me, parents, he lost the influence of his family. He just bought into the culture. He went from being out in the plain to in the city, to in leadership in the gates. A well-respected man, and his faith didn't do a thing to change the city. But everybody thought he was really nice. He just fell asleep in the darkness. These individuals pursued a natural desire. Well, how do we know this? Okay, now you see where Jude is connecting. Genesis 19, the two angels they came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. What's he doing there? He's a leader of the city. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no. "'We will spend the night in the town square.' "'But he pressed them strongly. "'So they turned aside to him and entered his house, "'and he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, "'and they ate. "'But before they lay down, the men of the city, "'the men of Sodom, both young and old, "'all the people to the last man surrounded the house, "'and they called to Lot.'" Now listen to this. "'Where are the men who came to you tonight?' Bring them out to us that we may know them. Biblical terminology, have sex with them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance and shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so. What is this kind of behavior? Wickedly. Behold, now here's Lot's option for them can't imagine this as a father of daughters. I have two daughters who are virgins. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please, only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back and said, Here's here's the influence of Lot. Here's our influence as just a nice coworker, a nice neighbor, just being kind, kind, sweet, nice, and we never approach the gospel speaking the truth in love. This is the influence that we have in our culture. Here we go. This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. That is just a snippet of what it's like to live in Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities of the plain. The angels then proceed to tell Lot, you got anybody else that's family? Because you have to get out of the city right now. Judgment is gonna fall on the cities of the plain and you and your loved ones and anybody that you can, remember Abraham prayed and said, if we find 10 people in these cities, judgment won't fall. So far, we have Lot, and we have his wife, and two daughters. We're missing six out of all the cities, and God would have spared them. And Lot's influence couldn't even get his family out. They laughed at him. Hold, man. Been drinking? Get out of here. Crazy. And the angels actually had to grab him and say, you're not moving fast enough. And they carry him out of the city. Don't look back. Turn with me to Romans. One more passage for you to see in your Bibles because Paul picks up on this, this unnatural desire. And while we're turning to Romans, are we not thankful that the Lord forgives from any kind of sin? What I want you to understand is there's not one sinner that they're, they're the worst sinner, they're the bad sinners. I wasn't that bad of a sinner. No, we are all destined for hell. There ought to be, you know, zero looking down our nose at anybody. It's the grace of God that, that I'm here, that you're here. Romans chapter one, Paul writes, it's as if he knows our culture 2,000 years later, verse 24. It says, therefore God gave them up. Okay, that's a, that's a judicial term. Handed them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Jeremiah 8 says that the people of God couldn't even blush. They forgot how to blush. They were just so, I just, we, just, we, gave, we were given up to sin. Because, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, we don't know of anybody serving creatures instead of the creator, do we? Save the planet. Save all the animals. And you worship the creation and miss the creator. That's a fail. For this reason... Verse 26, God gave them up, there's that term again, to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And, And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are, okay, now now just right here, Christians might be saying, no, those wicked people out there, they're so awful. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, ouch, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. John Phillips describes the cities of the plain. And he says, in those cities, a foul lifestyle was not only practiced, but also permitted and promoted. It was not only permitted, but also, hello, 2021. Protected by law. How dare you be intolerant? of all types of behavior. He says this, perverts have always practiced these foul sins. In a healthy society, however, they have to be practiced by stealth. How's our society doing? We have parades. We have drag queens on Zambonis in between periods at the Red Wings. This is everywhere. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten history? I think so. But listen, loved ones, sexual sins do not have to have the final say in our lives. You hear me? Sins you've committed against others, sins committed by others against you do not have to have the final say in our lives. That doesn't have to be your final, this is who I am, what I've done or what's been done to me. It does not. If you're a child of the king, if you come to know Christ, then you belong to Christ. And your whole outlook and perspective can change through forgiveness, mercy, grace, through the cross and resurrection. You don't have to be known by what you've done or where you've been. But you can be known by the one who has it is finished over your sin if you will trust in him. This is good for all of us. This is good for me. This is good for you. This is good for the nations. Paul praised God for the power to save. 1 Corinthians 6. Verse nine, or do you know, you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to verse 11. And such were some of you. That used to be you. But what happened, Paul, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You had a name change. You were adopted. You were brought into a family through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, and you don't have to live that way or live under that heading anymore. These individuals, what was the punishment? They were destroyed by eternal fire. They were destroyed how did that work out to say, ah, we don't think there's a God. No, no big deal. We can do what we want to do. They were destroyed by not just fire immediately, but by eternal fire. Israelites, there were a few among, and they affected the whole of Israel, except Joshua and Caleb. Do you see what Jude is doing? There was just a few people causing, we don't need to listen. We don't listen. Don't, giants are big. Okay, we're not going to Listen. Oh loved ones, may we wake up, live in the reality of God's goodness and His justice. Let's not forget the infidelity of the Israelites. They died in the wilderness. Let's not forget the insurrection of the angels. They were destined to darkness. Don't forget the immorality of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were destroyed by eternal fire. Let's remember this, and in love may we speak the truth in love. May we apply it to our lives. And may we share this with those around us. Let me close with this section that Paul says in Romans 13, 11. He says, besides, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's what we're here to do. Cast off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. All of those in the life of a Christian confuse people. They cause us a diminished witness. They hurt us. They cause pain because they're an offense against God but he says verse 14 this is my prayer my plea with us today put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires oh it's just a little you know it's just a little no no provision for the flesh so here's three questions to take with you this week discuss with those around you where do i see the increasing influence of unbelief where do we see that happening The increasing influence of unbelief. And how does immorality distort God's goodness and cause harm? Work through that. How does does it cause harm and distort God's goodness? And what is my next step to humbly obey the Lord Jesus Christ? Can we help you take that step today? Wherever you are, undoubtedly, of all the scriptures we read this morning, we covered something that you and I struggle with. So the question is not, do you struggle? The question is, what do you do with your struggle? Where do you go with your struggle? Go to the cross. Go to the cross. Let's stand together. Father in heaven, Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your love. God, you are good. And you know all of the shame in our lives this morning. You know, the sin, besetting sin that may even be in the lives of those who are listening today. So the point of a message like this is not to just make us feel bad about our sin, but that the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin and convince us of righteousness and draw us to the truth and draw us to the light. So Father, as we worship and we sing together even now, I pray that we all who are gathered will deal with whatever sin may be in our lives. And humbly, we cry out to you and find your grace and your mercy enough to cleanse us if we confess our sins you Lord are faithful and just to forgive us of all sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness thank you Lord thank you for loving us first and loving us all the way to death and back to life through the resurrection in Jesus good and powerful name we pray Amen